Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and this is the show that doesn't shy away from really raw conversations. Today I'm chatting to DJ Fat Tony. I can be in the most amazing loving relationship but I never loved myself. I never knew how to love myself. I thought that money was always uh, a way to make people love me or I thought that, you know, humour... Let's, let's all laugh and you'll all love me. You know, I've used all of those tools and, and now by writing this, I don't have to use them as tools. Tony was once a notoriously hedonistic DJ, but has now been sober for 15 years. His memoir, I Don't Take Requests, covers everything from growing up on a London council estate to the club scene of the 80s and 90s to his HIV diagnosis and going to rehab. It's honestly one of the most phenomenal books I have ever read. I've been telling absolutely everyone about it, so it was just the biggest privilege to be able to sit with Tony as he retold some of the stories from his difficult past. I have to say, recording this episode with all of you lot at our Happy Place Festival felt particularly special. We were all just so wrapped up in Tony's story that you could genuinely hear a pin drop in the tent. We were hanging off Tony's every word. There was something really powerful about that silence. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Right, let's do it. This is the show. Hi. <laughs> Just so you know, I, my ears both blocked, so I can't hear hardly anything. So all day long I've been like, people trying to talk to me, and I'm like, yeah, 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 in a real way. For so that once. bodes well for the next hour. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, for our chat. <laughs> but I was literally, I was on Instagram about an hour ago, and I saw you lying on your side with a candle in your ear. They Just, don't work. They don't work. <laughs> no, they definitely trying to work. extract something in there. So this is just from DJing, loads of noise. Yeah, you know what it is? It's just a build-up. This summer's been really busy, and normally I have it, like, I, I take good care of them, and I just didn't, like, normal, you know, forget about one area but concentrate on all the others. And then last night I came home from Brighton. I, I, I was in IB and I went straight to Brighton to do Brighton Pride. Came home and my ear was blocked. Yes, Brighton Pride. <laughs> there you go, Brighton, uh, in the house. And... Uh, they were blocked, so I just olive oiled them and went to bed and woke up. And I woke up at quarter past nine. I never wake up at quarter past nine. Best sleep I've ever had. Really? Yeah. Well, I obviously I... couldn't hear anything. So... so I need to put some olive oil in my ears tonight, clearly, because well, sleep I... is not my thing. <laughs> no, I think it might really work for me. Right. But now I'm deaf. Okay. Well, anyway, we're really glad to have you here, <laughs> and we hope maybe the unblockage will just spontaneously happen here because Let's of the good hope vibes. So, yeah. so this is um, perhaps a first for you being at a festival, not DJing. It really is. Someone just said outside, "Oh, I can't wait for you to go on. I, I really want to dance." And I was like, "What?" To, to my trauma. 
it's like, oh, that's what it's like. It's like, yeah, I'm going to come dance to your trauma. Um, oh, that yes. was my friend Rachel. She's like, oh, I can't wait to come and dance. There's no, there's no, there's no music. Um, no. But we are going to have a jolly good chat. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy to have you here. I'm blessed to be here. Seriously, thank you. Well, look, not only... Do I love your Instagram more than any other Instagram out there? It is a source of pure joy, entertainment, and hilarity. So, first of all, tick. Thank, Thank you for you. that. It's the best. All Instagram, other Instagram accounts, boring. Oh, you're on a beach. Oh, you're eating a salad. No, I want what you're doing. It's the best. Thank you. But on a on an, another sort of note, this book that you've written that we've got in front of us here, I don't take requests. Um, it's my dog Taylor. She passed away a month before this came out. So every time dog. I see the cover, it just gets me. It's like one of those things that, yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful <laughs> cover. It's a beautiful dedication to her as well. And um, as I said to you privately, not it, it, sort of publicly, I, I just think this book is unbelievable and um, important and raw and and I know um there were moments where you were apprehensive about putting it out because the the feeling was why rock the boat I'm doing well I'm yeah uh, my life's going brilliantly why you know sort of dredge up the past but what what kept you writing the book and uh, allowed you to, to publish it actually Mikey Hennigan who wrote the book with me uh we it was a joint venture in the sense that he would come to my house I would shout a lot scream at him and dictate to him <laughs> and he would go away and come back two days later very shyly and and then we'd read through it and he in a way he was the driving force that carried on because I looked forward to shouting at him every day <laughs> and it was kind of like that's what drove it but you know there were so many points where you know I'm very very vo vocal about my addiction and I have been always because I, I believe that the more I talk about my addiction the more it will help someone else and they will identify with it and there was, but there was so much more to the book that uh, I wanted to put in the book because there's been an awful lot of trauma and, you know, people always go, oh, my God, you're so funny. And it's like, you know what, I'm only funny because of that trauma. You know, I find light in dark places because I've, I've lived it and I've gone through it and I just wanted to put it in there and I just thought, you know, there's so many things, factors that I never, ever talked about. You know, abuse, HIV. There's so many bits in that book that I, I don't talk about on a daily basis because I don't need to. You know, they're no longer a problem. Addiction's no longer a problem. I'm not, you know, I haven't had a drink or a drug in 15 and a half years. But, <laughs> but, but you give me sushi on a Monday, I'll have it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. And, you know, it's like I buy a pair of shoes in white, I have to have them in green, red and blue as well. So it does manifest in other areas still. But, you know, I really wanted to put it all in there to make people realise that there is life after however low you get in your life. There's only one way to go, and that's up. Yeah, but that takes a lot of work, and it takes mm. a lot of healing and a lot of recovery in all areas of your life, and that's not, that's not a quick thing. This has no. been years and years for you, and I'm imagining you have to get to a place of maybe not full peace, but near peace, to be able to write something like this and look back at the trickier moments and the darkest times to, to sit with it and go, yeah, this is my life story and I know it's going to help someone. You've got to get to a level of peace. I, I, I think w there were certain levels that I'd really come to terms with. And then when we sat down to write it, there were things that I really felt that I'd dealt with and hadn't even looked at. You know, when we come to writing... 
the, I got abused as a child from the age of 10 to 14. Uh, and, you know, to, to write that down and to actually, to, to actually relive it is a momentous thing. It's, it, it, you know, I, I didn't believe that it had a hold on me anymore. I felt that because I don't talk about it and I don't look at it, it's been dealt with. You know, like all human beings, we plough. We plough through, it goes to the sides, builds up, and eventually it will come in on top of us. Uh, and, you know, we sat down and we started writing that, and I had to stop. I got really ill. Uh, I thought I had food poisoning for three days. And what it was, it wasn't food poisoning. It was the fact that I brought that stuff to the surface. That night when I went to bed, I could smell him. <laughs> I don't want to cry. But I could smell him and I could see him. And, and I hadn't done that since I was 10 or 12 or 13. And it brought all that stuff up. And I really felt that I dealt with it. But what I did, um, what I did do was start trauma therapy. And if anyone in here had trauma in your lives and you, you think that you've dealt with it, please just try some form of trauma therapy. It's very different from other therapy. And it really, it really enabled me to carry on with this. Because what I did was, I sat down and I, at the age of, I'm 56, and so at the age of 53, 54, I'm sitting drawing, colouring in pictures on the floor with crowns. And what it does, it opens up this part of the brain that we, we close away. For when we talk, we talk about stuff quite freely that, you know, without exposing our shame. But when we draw it, it it's a whole different thing. And it was a really amazing experience. Yeah. It's incredible that you did it because, um, you know, we've got this beautiful book from you going through that process. But, of course, going through any sort of trauma healing does involve you having to look at it. And mm. I think anyone in this tent now who's been through anything challenging or traumatic, it's always, of course, the easiest option to not look at it and to build distractions and to go, la, 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 I'm not, I can't go there. I know I do that with certain parts of my life, but I guess the only way to truly overcome situations like that is to look at it. I mean, it's like, listen, <laughs> put it very frankly, it's like having gonorrhea, right? Not looking at it and knowing you've got gonorrhea. And, and you won't know it's gonorrhea it's until you actually look at it. Or you've got doctors to look at it. Do you get what I mean? This is the way my brain works, sorry. It's brilliant. Uh, so, you know, but until someone diagnoses it, which is looking at it, you know, you don't understand what you've got. And I can self-diagnose everything because I'm a really good doctor. I'm a, an amazing vet. <laughs> I'm, I'm an, you know, I'm everything, you know, when it comes to, you know... Um, so until you actually look at it, you're totally right. It, 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 it's, it, it, it's something totally different. And can you see, since going through that process and mm. doing trauma therapy and, and going through that process, can you see how your behaviour in certain situations has changed because you've dealt with it? Is, is mm. there evidence of how you've changed through you that know, process? I, I truly believe, you know, at 50, like, as I say, 15 and a half years of working on myself, uh, you know, I, I, I work a programme. Uh, drink and drugs are no longer a problem because I work that programme and I live that programme. Um, so I've dealt with that stuff. But dealing with that stuff, it's, it's a, it, it takes as long as it takes for you to get there. And I truly believe that writing this book has changed so much in my life in the sense that I can sit and read that and talk about that now. Yeah, I get teary. I get teary. I get teary at Coronation Street. Do you get what I mean? Come on. <laughs> you know, you show me a puppy and I'm off. Yeah. But, you know, um, yeah, I just think that writing this and going through it and looking at it and breaking it down, because I hadn't read this book, right? It took two and a half, two and a half, how many years, Mikey? Two, right? 
two years in all to, for us of going backwards and forwards and work, sitting t working together. And we, when we started it, we started at the beginning. And then by the end, I'd forgotten about the beginning. I'd be bringing up stuff to Mike and go, did we cover that? And he was like, yeah, chapter four. And I'm like, I don't remember. You know, and so to re then to get the book and read it was just like, I was a mess. <laughs> I was, there was parts of me that was really proud and there's parts of me that was just so ashamed still because it was in black and white. Mm. Reading it in black and white made it really real. And then to think, okay, this is, this is my life now and everyone knows that. And then going to bed at two, and waking up at 2 a.m., which I'm really good at, and laying there till 6 a.m. Oh, and the end worst. result is always kill yourself. Why don't you just kill yourself and be done with it? No one's going to care, you know. That's where it always goes at that point in time. And then, of course, I get up and get on with my day and I'm fine. But, you know, that's that In the night, away. it's the worst because you're on your own. Yeah. You think everyone else is sleeping and that you're the only person who's awake. The thoughts get absolutely horrendous. And I think it's really important to talk about shame. Mm. Nobody does it. Nobody no. wants to talk about it, admit they've felt that. I'm sure everybody in this room at some point has felt the horrible... Oh, the grittiness of shame. And I had a huge period of my life where I was floored by it. And because of the nature of shame, you go really silent yeah. because of it. And, it yeah. and it's horrible. So I think, again, it's incredible that you've put all of this in there and been so honest about it because it, it gives everyone else permission to go, oh, maybe I don't have to feel uh, exactly. shame around this subject or whatever it is. I mean, especially with the abuse stuff, the amount of people that... Since I, we went in debt, you know, if any of you read it, 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 it's not an easy read. It starts off really funny and, and everyone goes, oh, I'll meet people and go, oh, I love your book, it's so funny. I'm like, what chapter are you on? <laughs> and like, literally. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, mm, come back in a couple more chapters time and tell me the same thing. But, you know, it gets very dark and, and it's dark because that's the truth. Yeah. I wasn't going to write a book that just iced over it. We weren't going to do that. My truth is dark. My truth is, but you know what? So when it came to writing the abuse, people, the people, I meet people at airports and they tell me their trauma, which is incredible because yeah. that means the book's a success, you know? But it's, you know, it's no longer, the shame's no longer there for me. I wrote it in there, we put it all in there and, you know, that kind of take, took it away because I carry that stuff around with me to every relationship I've ever been in. Mm. Those pages have ruined those relationships. The, what happened in there has ruined that relationship, you know, I can be in the most amazing, loving relationship, but I never loved myself. I never knew how to love myself. I thought that money was always uh, a way to make people love me, or I thought that, you know, humour, let's, let's all laugh and you'll all love me. You know, I've used all of those tools, and, and now by writing this, I don't have to use them as tools. You know, I... I, I Whilst we were writing, we, I went through a breakup after eight years. The most toxic relationship. But, you know, I was really comfortable in that toxic relationship. It was hell. It was hell. You know, I don't want to cry again, but it was really hell. You know, what we did to each other on a daily basis, the to-in and the throw-in. Uh, you know, and, and I accepted it because I thought that was love. I accepted that, and I accepted the fact that I was being abused and I was being abusive. Again, even in recovery, I accept it because I thought that was love. And now I know love. I mean, you know, we split up in the middle of this. We had to rewrite the last chapters because it wasn't right, because I was in a very different place by the time we come to the end of it. And 
I'm now in the most loving relationship I've ever been in. I can, I can love someone for who they are and not want to be with the rest of the rest of this room. You know, yeah. that was what I was like before, you know, because I felt worthless. So therefore, I couldn't take on anything. I could not take on his love. I would run him out. I used to say jokingly, you say to me, oh, you tell me you hate me, I'll take you on... I was going to swear then, I stopped myself. <laughs> you tell... You tell me you love me, I'll take you on holiday. I mean, I mean, you tell me you love me, I'll run a mile. But if you come up to me and tell me, you call me every name under the sun, we're going on holiday next week. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. That's the, that, was, that was it. And now mm. it's no longer like that, you know, because I don't have that shame. Yeah, yes. Yes. But this is the, um, this is the missing ingredient for probably all of us, I'm totally speaking for myself, is self-compassion. Mm. We all struggle with it so massively. And some of it's not our fault because we live in this world where there's social media and we're constantly comparing ourselves and we have advertising telling us that we're lacking and we need to get this thing or whatever. A lot of it isn't our fault. Some of it's, you know, goes for our lineage and we're breaking the patterns of our parents and their parents, yeah, whatever. Learned behaviors. Yeah, but it's a new thing for perhaps, you know, the, the, the younger generations to go, oh, I've got to do that bit first. I've got to like myself. And it's so wonderful to hear that you're at that place where you're doing that and that you can have that level of self-compassion. I don't think many people get there. You know, there's a difference between self-compassion and being a victim. And I think that as soon as you define that line and you think, okay, that's, this stuff happened, that stuff happened, it's not going to happen again, so therefore I'm not going to be the victim and play the victim. Whereas with compassion, you think, okay, that's, let's start this healing process. It's to heal, you know. As soon as you find compassion with anything, you start to mend it. And, and I think that, that the compassion that I have for myself, yeah, I've been through an awful lot in my life, but I'm not going to go through an awful lot today because I, I made that choice not to be that person anymore. You know, I come out of this book, I'm the only most unvarnished person in this book. Do you know what I mean? It's like everyone else comes out all right, you know, <laughs> I can, apart from me. And that's because that's where I'm at. Do you get what I'm saying to you? And mm. I just, you know, I all I, you know, it's a tough one because all I ever wanted was love throughout my life. And, and, and I always just ran from it. I didn't know how to accept it. And today, you know, that compassion that I have, I can pass on to others. Do you go? Yeah. It's a big thing, you know. It's a, it's a huge thing. And I think, you know, we're all so mean to ourselves. We all have that voice in our head telling us, well, you know, we, we, we've done something wrong. We're not enough. People don't like us. I'm so old. I'm fat. Yeah, it's all, we've all got it. It's, and we don't think anyone else has got it. We're sat there going, oh, my God, they've got it sus. They know how to do life and I don't. And... You know, that's, that's not the case. We're all feeling exactly the same. And the only person that can rectify that is, is it's you. You know, we were talking about this yesterday. It might have been with Tom Walker, who was here. And yeah. talking about, you know, you can go on stage and sing a song and have millions of people screaming your name, singing your song lyrics. You can't put that feeling inside of you. You've got to do that bit yourself. Mm -hmm. That's not promoted. The, the thing that's promoted is, oh, look at these famous people or people on totally. stage doing this. And... It doesn't touch the sides. You've no. got to do the work and you've got to love yourself. You know, you spent decades with people dancing to your music and you're up on stage and people adoring what you're doing. But unless you're feeling that love for yourself, it you doesn't know, matter. It's, it's, it, you know, those years of watching people dance and I was never connected. I wasn't a part of it. I was there playing a lip service and such because I was just playing music. Today, there's a difference. I feel music. I don't play it. Right, 
I don't listen to it. I, I mean, I do play. I don't listen to music. I feel music, and there's such a difference. Mm. So I feel vibrations of people. Like I'm feeling now. You know, this room is no. It's not a room full of judgmental people. There's none. There's none of that angst in here. There's a room full of love, and you feel that love, and therefore that enables me to be who I am because I feel that love, and and it's about accepting that now. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. before. I was blocked. It was always blocked. You know, you could be, you could say what you wanted to me and it would bounce off, uh, you know, and then I would go in for the kill. Yeah. You know, I, it's no longer like that today. I mean, don't get me wrong, I still have those moments, but, you know, it really is about feeling. And, I, and I, I'm in touch with who I am. Don't get me wrong, I still wake up some mornings and think, oh, God, you look really fat today, you look really old. And you know what? That doesn't define my day anymore. That will last for as long as that thought's in my head, which is two to three minutes, and it's gone. And then I will feel good about myself and think, and what? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas before, that would have enabled me to go out the door for three weeks and come back stinking like a dead dog, you know, and I would have beaten myself up over it, like, because that's where I was at, you know, and it's a whole different world. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You say in the book that still the mornings are probably the most dangerous time really? because that's where you, you've woken up, it's a fresh day and it's, you know, any thought can come in and mm. it's th at that point that you've got to make a decision. So how, how do you navigate a morning? I'm sure many people feel like that. Oh my God, it could be the dread of work or it could be related to addiction, but the mornings are very, very heavy and tricky. For me, I jump out of bed. I don't lay in bed. As soon as yeah, I wake up, I'm out, out of that bed. My boyfriend hates me for it. <laughs> you know, I jump out of bed and I'm like, come on, let's go. You know, yeah. and I'm like full on ADHD in the morning, banging yeah, the yeah, bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the way I deal with it. I, if I lay there and I start to process things, me processing things is not a good thing. Yeah, same. Do you know what I mean? I, like, I will lay there and I'll be like, and then it will slowly seep in. And you know what happens? Is, so what I do is I, I'm up and I'm at it first thing in the morning. Come six o'clock, I will crash in front of the TV or whatever else. Because, you know, uh, I, I avoid caffeine in the mornings, like the plague, because, because of my ADHD, that caffeine has the, the opposite effect on me. It will send me into, like, into myself. It doesn't make me, like, you know, um, I'm addicted to ketones at the moment. Right. Know, another addiction. So, cause, but they cl clear my brain and, you know... Um, They've got slight caffeine in them as well. But I, so in the mornings, it's just about getting up and doing something with myself. Not sitting in front of the TV watching doom and gloom and fear. No, no, no. Yeah. So you can't give yourself too much time to think. You've got to go up. It's like uh, Mel Robbins has, was it called the five-second theory or something, where you yeah. count backwards or you count to five. So if you're, like, lying in bed, you have to get out by five. Or if, like... You need to do a boring chore. You count to five when you just do it. Because otherwise, know, we'll just procrastinate. Also, it's about handing it over for me. You know, if I'm feeling... If I wake up and I'm not in a good headspace, I'll, I will tell my boyfriend I'm really not in a good headspace today. And then what I'll do... Because uh, I, I, I win a 12-step programme, I work it... You know, it's about spirituality. It's nothing to do with religion. I don't believe... 
don't hate me for this, but I really don't believe there's a God up there, like, on a cloud waiting for us all, you know. On a cloud. What I do believe is it's about <laughs> what we put out in the world, we get back. Yeah. And I believe it's all about feeling and vibration and all of that stuff. So I pray. I will pray to my to my higher power. I will pray, and I. And, but what praying is? It's really verbalizing what's what's going on for you. The minute that you put it out there, it, it it takes the power out of it. And I always say to people, if you don't open your mouth, you don't get fed. And it's as simple as that. It's about speeching it. So I will pray, and I always say to like my sponsees or anyone that I'm helping, please don't do it in your head. Don't sit there full of, full of shame like praying like that. Say it. Say it loud. It's almost like affirmation. Yeah. It really is like, you know, and if you say it enough, you start to believe it. Yeah. But I guess you've got to, do you maybe have to do the self-compassion bit first? To yeah. Because you've got to believe you deserve I think, you know, what you're saying. Well, you know, it's about faking it to making it. Yeah, yeah, do you know yeah. What I mean, you know, because a lot of people don't, they, they, they struggle with prayer and they struggle with just even voicing it. Yeah. You know, do you know how hard it is for someone to say, I've got a problem? Yeah. <sighs> That's, that's the first hurdle with addiction, with so many things, abusive relationships, to actually say, I need help. It's the biggest thing you'll ever say. It's the most magical thing you'll ever say because that suddenly opens those doors and then you, you become acceptance of the fact that you need help. Whereas before we go through life thinking, I don't need help, I'm all right with this. You know, I used to say all the time, and I will swear on this bit, my life is shit, but it's my shit. And there was something really comfortable within that. You know, um, well, so you would almost say that um, as an excuse to be able to create the drama. And, always. Yeah. You know, I spent my life on a drama triangle. You know, there was what I've three sides to every drama, and I was on all three of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> and in the middle. You know, literally. And, you know, it's just. But how, okay, that's really interesting because I remember a line in the book you saying you literally came out of the womb causing drama. Well, like, it was for breach birth, yeah. <laughs> oh, you quite literally, asked first. quite literally did. And you know, that's, a, that's a big deal to change your mindset that you can live a life without drama. Because mm -hmm. again, you're comfortable in the drama. You know the outcome. You know how you drama You know what it was works. so funny? It was about accepting again. Yeah. I accepted that, that that drama was who I was and what I was in. And I, you know, it's like being in that, relate, that abusive relationship or abusing yourself. But like allowing someone to abuse you because you think it's normal. Or they, you know, it's about the, the mindset. It's basically, you know, the minute that you accept that you're worth it and no one's going to do this to me again, you're not going to treat me like that I'm not going to treat myself like that is where it firstly comes from yeah as soon as we learn to treat ourselves with love and respect we can then love each other and love someone else and you know I I, I got to a point in my life now where I don't take shit because I yeah. don't give shit I can do Nadim who's I tell you over there who works with me <laughs> he gets a lot of shit but you know what it, it, it's dealt with there and then you know uh, I would you know I'd stay friends with people for seven years just to get them back in the past. <laughs> That's the type of person I, that was the type of person I was. And I'm no longer like that because I don't need to be like that anymore. Yeah, because it's down to the self-compassion. It really is. It's, it's so huge. And, you know, I, I'm still certainly working on that myself, like wanting to cultivate it and wanting to stick to it. And it, it is a, it's a commitment. It's a dedication. I know, mm. obviously, the 12-step program gives you that framework. Mm. And I think... You know, like Russell Brand wrote a book which was essentially 12 steps but for life. And I think we all need... It's very Russell, isn't it? Very like, Russell. We changing Russell. the 12 steps. I know, changing. I love it. But 
giving us a chance to commit and be dedicated because we'll, we'll come really, up with every excuse not to do it. Because you know what, the 12 steps work. There are, there's one to 12 for a reason. And, and what we do in the 12 steps, right, without selling it to you, basically step one is we look at, our, we look at ourselves and we think, okay, we, we admit that we've got a problem. Two is we do something about that problem. Three, we tell someone else about that problem. You know, we come to, we, we find the higher power, we make that connection. Four is we look at our part in that problem. And we look at, you know, because we all go through life resenting everyone. I hate her. She did this to me. Guess what? She, you know, she stole my man. No, you allowed her to steal your man. Do you know what I mean? Because it was what we didn't, what we weren't doing. So we look at our part in everything. And God, God forbid, I, when I got to step four, I thought, I don't have a problem with anyone. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, the, the resentment list was very long. Um, and, you know, my part in it, you know, up come every time, hypocrite, arrogant. I got them on my hands as a reminder because it's so easy for me to forget that stuff. What it used to be, it's not so much now because I wasn't really living in that program. You know, and anyway, so what Russell did with that book was to bring that to everybody yeah. without you having to be an addict or to work a 12-step program because it's, it's very biblical as well. It's in so many different things, yeah. that theory. Of, of, and then when we get to 12, it's you only keep what you have by giving it away. And that's the, that's the magical bit because, we get, you know, we see someone who... I. You know, I see someone who, who's, who's clearly in trouble. I'll plant the seeds. I won't say, you've got a problem, you need to do this. I say, if you need to call someone, just give me a call. You know, I do it on my Instagram all day long. I get so many messages from people. And it's about giving it away because that's how we stay well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? A, and that's well, a really good theory to have in life. It is. I loved, I loved that whole part of the book towards the end of, of you saying that's such a huge part of the healing for you is the giving back. And mm. so for anyone that um, either isn't in recovery or, or doesn't have a, a direct relationship with this, can you explain how, uh, how you work as a sponsor and, and what that dynamic is? Yeah. So, I mean, people come to you at the most weirdest of places. You know, it's normally a friend that will call you and say, oh, my friend really needs help. Can you help him? And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, let's meet. And basically what it is, is what, you know, I, my experiences are, you know, I always say, so if someone's lost a child, right, and they go to get therapy for it, and that person who's the therapist has not lost a child, they don't know what they're doing. You know, an addict can help another addict because they've lived it and they've got clean and it works for them. So if it works for me, it's going to work for you. Not everybody's the same. It will change in different areas, you know, uh, my, my sponsor's got a problem with alcohol and, and had a problem with drugs. That was it. I have a problem with sex. I have a problem with food. I have a problem with bloody everything, uh, you know, because that's the extent. But, you know, it's about just replacing that word, food, alcohol. It's all addiction. And, you know, so what we do is I will help that person. I'll direct them. I'll, I'll show them how amazing life is without drinking drugs and and it, it really does work there's no judgment that you know I, I don't pass judgment on anyone in it because I laugh at everything because I've done it all myself someone will come and tell me and go, oh yeah I'm really embarrassed because I pissed the bed on I used to do that every day mm. do you know what I mean literally you know it's it's all of that stuff yeah again you take the shame out of it yeah yeah you know, it's so powerful and, and there's nothing more magical and I mean this from the bottom of my heart than Seeing someone get that glint of life back in their eye, <laughs> my head's all stood yeah. because it, it's it's just the most magical thing, you know. So the seeing that change in someone, not 
desperate, the desperation's gone and they're suddenly clutching onto life and they realise life's for living. It's the most magical thing in the world. It really is. And that's why I give it away. Mm. I give it, I will help anyone. You know, I, 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 years ago I said, oh, anyone who messages me on Instagram, I always reply. And I do. People, I get it all day long. People go, oh my God, I can't believe you replied. I replied because if I went to someone 15 and a half years ago and they never replied to me, I would be dead. It's as simple as that. I would be dead now. I wouldn't be here flogging my book, talking to you, <laughs> pouring myself out at, at the festival. No, but you know, yeah, I know, I, I know. I know. it's a it's, fact. I know. You know, it, all it takes is that one connection that can change someone's life. And, you know, and I truly believe whatever area you're in, make sure that you're that connection. If someone's calling you, just think how much it took them to pick up that phone yeah. and say how much it takes for them to text that. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's really big stuff. It's, it's absolutely huge. And, uh, and looking at your own recovery, in the early days you went to rehab, but you put yeah. a stat in the book that I, I was naive to and I was sort of horrified to read that only one in 12 people who go to rehab yeah. manage to maintain that long-term recovery. They do, they do you know, they, go, they, they always say to you in rehab, you know, yeah, there's 12 of you in this room and only one of you is going to, like, survive. The other seven are going to be dead. And uh, this is what they tell you. Seven of you are going to die. Thing, and oh you're like, oh, God. yeah, right. And it's just, like, fear factor, but it's true. One, literally one in 12 make it. Stay clean. And, you know, I was that... I remember very early when I was in treatment and... This counsellor called Mark, it's in the book, said to me, you're going to be one of the, the seven that, you know that, don't you, that wow. you carry on the way you are. And I was like, wow, you're a great counsellor, ain't you? You know what I mean? Oh, that's horrendous. Doing something right here, mate. But why do you think it, why did rehab work for you? How, were rehab you worked how for have me you because, maintained it? Because it was in Bournemouth and I never, ever want to go back to Bournemouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a Bournemouth crew in the middle. <laughs> you know that. And they're all wearing ring I, I, I like. Um, I like Bournemouth. <laughs> no, you know what? Bournemouth is lovely. Bournemouth's lovely. I've been on the pier. You've got an expansive sandy beach. It's not I've... their sand. What? That's not their sand. They bring it in. Well, they borrowed sand, and it's a lovely <laughs> borrowed beach. It's from the Sahara. I'm, I'm very fond of it. I like um, it. But you know what? It worked for me because I was ready. Yeah. I was ready. I, you know, as I talk in the book, you know, I got to the point where all I ever thought about daily was my own funeral. And I, that's what I, that's all I had to look forward to. And that sounds like a big, melodramatic thing, but it was the truth. I would sit and I would think, okay, she's coming to the funeral, he's not coming, she's coming, he can be on the front row, I do not want that one there. And that would change daily. The, the, the playlist always stayed the same, it was always going to be, I was going to come into Womack and Womack footsteps on the dance floor. Oh, that's and, a great you know, show. And then I was going to be burnt to no more drama, Mary J. Blige, as the curtain wow. shut. And that, that was it. And I thought about that daily. And I literally, that was, that was it. And I, I weighed seven stone at that point. I had no teeth. That's all I had one tooth left at the front that I would sit pulling out. And I used to rock backwards. I still do that, rock backwards and forwards when I'm really tired. I, I rock backwards and forwards. And I know that's when it's time for me to go home and go, get, go away from people. I used to, and I used to think that was normal. I used to think rocking backwards and forwards was something, you know. I gurn still. When I'm in a nervous situation, my jaw will go. Because it's the neuro parts yeah. are still connected. So whenever I'm tired or for the first four years of DJing, I gurned. Right? Because that was the connection. That's what I did when I did that. Mm. Do you get what I mean? Death was all it was. And then suddenly... I was in the right place at the right time. 
someone came in, my, without, you know, my partner at the time, I was in a club rocking backwards and forwards in the green room on a Friday night. I'd been out since Tuesday. I'd, I'd, and I'd gone round to his house. I was only ever staying with my boyfriend for a week. Five years later, uh, he'd kicked me out and I went round his house and burgled his house that afternoon, stole his jeans. I'm laughing because it's funny. Um, <laughs> I was broken, stole his jeans and a T-shirt and his trainers and off I went. And, and I was in this club rocking back and forth and my friend came in and went, I've changed his name in the book to Johnny, but I'm going to call him James because that's his name. Came, um, uh, came in and, Ed, and my friend Edna was like, James is here, and I was like, what? And he was like, James is here, and I was just, <laughs> I don't want to cry again. I just sat there, and I just thought, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this tonight, because I knew he was going to beat me up, or he's going to attack me, because I broke into his house and stole all his clothes, and I just knew that's what was going on. And he'd been barred from that club for two years, because he would come in, and he would drag me out the DJ box, and fight me, and tell me to get out of the club, because... And he'd go to the owners of the, every club and say, you're going to find him dead on your toilet floor. You're allowing him to do this in here. Do you not understand? And I'd be like, oh, my God, he's mental. Bar him. But all he was trying to do was save my life. And I would just run from that. He was an obstacle to me. And that night he came in. And he came in the green room. And I just thought, I was sitting there thinking, I can't deal with this. And he came up and he put his hand on my shoulder. And I was like, I looked at him and I was like, and I always cry at this point because it was, it was that God-given moment that changed my life forever. There was no judgment in him. There was no anger. There was no thingy. There was compassion. And he said to me, what happened to you? And I'm crying now. Oh. Uh, and it was as simple as that. I, I just looked at him and I went, I don't know. And I couldn't answer the question. And it was like the whole room had rushed through. If you've ever smoked really strong hash kids you haven't right but you know uh, the whole room felt like it was rushing through and I was like I went please can we go and we left and on the Monday I went to my doctors my GP and I said I need help I said the magic words I need help and he's uh, and he said I've been waiting for you to say that to me for three years and I was like why didn't you say it because it's not my place to and I was like so uh, he put me in touch with a drug dropping center and that was it and the ball started rolling I couldn't get clean though but, it's, but this is the thing, it's such an important point to make for people struggling with addiction, but people in their stratosphere that you, you, there is no intervention. You can't stop someone from no. doing it. It has to be... You have to be ready. You have to be ready. It, it really was, um, and that's why I call it a, a God-given moment that he came there, because he shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been there. It would have been a very different story if he hadn't put his hand on my shoulder. I would be dead now, and that's a fact. I, I, you know... Uh, there were many times when it crossed my mind and I just, you know, I would sleep sometimes in the recovery position because I was so scared that I wasn't going to wake up. There was a part of me that no longer wanted to be the person I was and I just didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to change because I'd gone so far. Um, and, you know, that, that sh hand on that shoulder put on that pilot light. Suddenly the flame flickered and that was it. I just thought, I, I want to change my life. And what I did do was, first of all, I changed dealer, <laughs> thinking that everyone would, <laughs> thinking everyone would know that, think that I always got clean. Because, you know, when you're in that situation, you find someone that does what they do, and they're the best. So you set, you get all your friends to go there so you can get tick. And then you literally, so I got rid of him and found someone else, and he'd tell people I was clean. So that worked for a little while. Yeah, Faking totally. it till you make it. Yeah, totally. 
And then I would go to meetings and I would still be off my nut because I didn't know how to change. I just didn't... I, I, there was a part of me that really... But the addiction was so strong, it battled everything. Battled everything. And, and you know, then I managed to get uh, into rehab and off I went to Bournemouth for six months. And, you know, um, the theory of it is, like, you know, they, they say to you, you can't go back there. <laughs> you can't DJ again. You can't be in that relationship. You can't go back there. You can't do that. And I was like, I'm not going back anywhere. I'm going forward. Yes. And that's the way it's always been. Yes. So, so when... When you left rehab and, and they're saying this, you can't do that. I know there was a, a period where you weren't DJ and, and, and you hadn't sort of integrated back into your, your previous life or your previous friendship yeah. circles. What was that like? Like you, you'd had all this numbing for years mm. and sort of self-medicating to, mm. to cope, to get through it. How was it experiencing life with n just nothing, no distraction, just you and life well, together? The first first few months was amazing because I was like, yeah, I'm clean. And, I, you know, in everyone's faces. You need to stop doing that. Look at me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know I, as there's a saying which we say in the book, you know, you take the rum out of fruitcake, what are you left with? Fruitcake. <laughs> and I was really mad. I was insane. Ooh. And, uh, you know, it's slowly but surely that wears off. And then it's like you think, okay, right, what? I need to, what am I going to do with my life? How do I move forward? And, you know, what I learned really on what, early on was changing why into how. It's like, why am I not working? Why am I not doing this? Why does everyone hate me? It's like, how can I change the situation? And, you know, slowly but surely, it was, it, it's, you've got to remember it's not a race. Things come for a reason. It happens in that order. And I'm a firm believer that God only gives you, not that God, my God, only gives you, what you can cope with. And and, it, and only, surely but over time, the more well I got and the more I worked on myself, people start to see that and people start to believe in it. The more I believed in myself, other people started to believe in me. You know, um, it took a, t a long time and people go all the time to me, going, oh my God, things are really great for you right now. You're, uh, you know, your career's really big again. And it's like, what, you know, the last year, and it's like, it's not last year, it's, it's 15 and a half years of hard graft. Yeah. You know, to, to be doing what I do for a living. You know, and people, the other question always, uh, people say, how can you DJ in those places where people are off their nuts or drinking? It's quite simple. I choose not to. Yeah. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I yeah. choose, to, I know that if I have a drink, game over. So game, let's keep the game on, yeah? You know what I mean? I'm not going to give in to that because it no longer has that hold on me. I know how disastrous and how awful my life was. I talk about it every day, do you know what I mean? Uh, to, in some form. You know, so it's never an option. That's not an option. Drinking 10 cans of Coke is always an option. <laughs> you know, because that's what I do. Today's day one without Coca-Cola, please. Yeah, first day without sugar today. Um, I had a bite of a cake out there and I was like, oh my God, I've given up sugar. Oh, those cakes are outrageous yeah. back there. No, They're amazing. You know. But you know, it, 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 what will happen is a couple of days in, I will really get into being keto and like not eating sugar and then it's my new thing. And you know, it works for me. That kind of that trying to overcome something else new is, is always a good thing to do. I don't want to oversimplify anything from your book or what you've just said, but it feels like two massive pillars that are really important are 
self-compassion and mm. discipline. Yeah. Like that feel, I mean, I'm sure there's millions of other parts, but they feel really relevant. Like, and nobody likes to talk about discipline. It's so boring. Mm. Everyone wants a quick fix. So what's the quick thing? Oh yeah, you drink this juice every day or you do this one yoga practice and your life's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah. is no quick fix. No, there isn't. There is, like discipline is sadly where it's at and it's boring and it's long and it's every day. But like that is, that is the key to feeling okay, having 100%. discipline. hundred percent. You know, uh, as I say, it's, it, it's about knowing where you, where, finding where you belong and then, you know, okay, look, this is really nice where I'm at right now. I don't need to change the way I feel today in that sense. You know, I, I try not to drink, I don't drink coffee. I don't smoke. So to change the way I feel, I, I have to, to make myself happy, I have to do things that make me happy. You know, and I used to think the bad things in life really made me happy, and they don't anymore. And so when it comes to disciplining that stuff, I just think, what's going to make you happy today? I know, let's just go and do that. And, you know, it's the simple things. The love of a dog, the walking of a dog, the love of someone like, find your people. Yeah. Find your fucking people. They're the most important thing in your life. They're the ones that are going to support you. They're the ones that are going to... Pull you down when you know you need to be pulled down. Yeah. The ones that are going to pull you up when you need to be pulled up. That's what it's important in life. And it really, when you've got the right people around you, discipline is much easier. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because we all get yes people in our lives. And those are the people that you do not need in your life. You're not saying, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. And, oh, you're so boring. Yeah. Do you know how boring I am? Goodbye. See you later. That's, you know... As I always put on my Instagram, there's the five reasons, four reasons why you, uh, you should ask anyone to drink. None of your fucking business, <laughs> you know, and it really isn't because that's what we do. So find your yes. people, find those people that are going to support you in what you need to do and just say, you know what, you don't need to do that. Let's do this. Because, you know, people really struggle with that when they get, when they come into recovery or any form of recovery. You know, it's just not only about drink or drugs, it's about recovering from so many different things. Yeah. You know, people always, we, you know, well, there's always people in our group that wanna, don't want you to be happy in that sense because they're not happy, all right? Remember that, that's yeah. rule number one. They're not happy. Get rid of the unhappy ones, the ones that don't need you, uh, they're not supportive to you because they don't, they, they don't want you to be well. I have so many friends that I help and I've helped uh, or in my life that are clean and want to stay clean. And this, they had these learnt behaviours, as I like to think of them, friends, that they, oh, I've known him so long, though. He's, you know, he was there for me 20 years ago, you know. And he's not there for you anymore because all he wants you to do is go out and get drunk with yeah. him. He wants, he yeah. does, you know, you're boring if you're no longer on, on, the, on their gravy train. And get rid of those people. Find, those, find your people. Find your and that's people. when discipline really isn't about a horrible word, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's we not like a regimented totally thing. It's, it's so disciplined. Yeah. It's not, you know, you, yeah. it's about changing your life for that way. Yeah, it is. It's, um, oh, honestly, I, I could talk to you all day because I just <laughs> think what you've done in your life and, and how you're helping people today and just... And just by sharing your story is unbelievably powerful. And, um, you know, you could hear a pin drop in this tent. We're hanging off your every word because it means a lot to people to hear your story and to how we can all make better decisions in life and, and, and change parts of our life we know aren't working and to look for that self-compassion, which is so, so key. So 
I can't thank you enough for your time today and your energy and for writing this beautiful book that I urge you all to read. As Tony said, it's a tough read, but it's an important read. It is a beautiful, beautiful book. And Tony, I just want to say on behalf of me and everyone in this tent and listening at home, thank you. Thank you. Oh, Tony, I am so, so grateful to you for your time. It was amazing seeing everyone's faces in the tent hanging off every word. It was just beautiful. Thank you so much, Tony. I Don't Take Requests is out now, and Tony's Instagram truly is my favourite Instagram account in the world. You need to follow it. He's at DJ underscore Fat Tony underscore. And while you're there, you can follow us too. We're at Happy Place Official. I think you'll find joy in both of those places. Thank you so much again to Tony, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you for holding space for these kinds of conversations. You're simply the best. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.